Good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us at Spirit of Grace Church, <clears throat> coming from my office at home. And uh, we're thankful that you're able to join us tonight. And uh, we're excited about what God is doing in this last day and <clears throat> in this last hour. And uh, I believe that the soon coming of the Lord is upon us. And uh, that is to bring peace and joy to our lives because uh, one of these days shortly we're going to be seeing him face to face and uh, be in his presence for all of eternity. <clears throat> Praise God. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, I'm thankful for the word of the Lord tonight. I'm thankful for all of your prayers. Some of you have seen last Wednesday night we were unable to come on with you because <clears throat> I had an accident with a saw as I was getting ready. You can see my fingers here. As I was getting ready to finish up our stairs and our flooring at the house, and uh, everything is good. We're just now in the healing process. Did have a couple of uh, broken bones and things of that nature, but everything is supposed to be healing just perfect. It'll just take us a little bit of time to uh, get everything back up and running. And so we're thankful for your prayers and for uh, just understanding what's all happening. It's felt a little bit weird trying to use my left hand for everything. In fact, that's why I haven't been able to shave. And uh, I'm too chicken to use a razor with my left hand. <laughs> But uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to share with you what I believe the, the Lord laid on my heart this afternoon as I was preparing for tonight and have thought about it and prayed about it and asked God just to speak to us. Uh, chapter 2 is a response uh, or a continuation of chapter 1, and Paul is identifying or is trying to identify what God has done in believers and he comes to chapter 2, and I'm just going to read reading it from uh, the New Living Translation tonight. We're just going to read the first 11 verses, and then, get, and then we're going to break some of this down. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. <clears throat> Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as a temporary resident and foreigner to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. 
Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. And uh, I just, I enjoy that passage of scripture so much because it identifies who God really desires us to be. And we are on, whether we realize it or not, a lifetime journey of identifying, being molded into, and framed into what God really wants us to be. And I believe that if we recognize that, it, it totally changes the perspective on how we live and operate. Um, so I want to just break some of the things down. Now, I'm, I'm not going to go into real in-depth on these because you could take one verse and, and spend a whole hour on that alone. So I'm just going to hit some highlights that, that I hope that you would just take and absorb, embrace through the next coming days and um, begin to identify some of the things that God is trying to do in your life and in our life together. Um, because we have come to see Jesus Christ, because we have, become, have come to recognize the things of God, the, uh, Simon Peter tells us in verse 2, get rid of all evil behavior. And uh, that, that word evil can sometimes trip us up because we don't think that we're evil. But really what that is, just putting it in a general term, evil behavior is that behavior that's not pleasing to God. Okay, and, and that, so it, it doesn't mean that you are, you know, put away all of the demonic stuff that you were doing, all that, I mean, that applies, but it is much more general than that. Uh, the word evil there is just anything that doesn't please God. And be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. Um, I, I understand that the primary meaning of this passage is how we deal with people. Uh, that horizontal relationship that we have with people, not just the vertical relationship that we have with God. But I also believe very strongly that this passage is also dealing with that self-relationship. Um, I believe that oftentimes we deceive ourselves uh, one of two different ways. Uh, uh, if we say that we have no sin in us, we deceive ourselves is what the scripture says. But I think we also deceive ourselves when we say that we're not good enough for God. If God has opened up his arms, and he did so uh, on Calvary, and he did so in his creation, and saw that his creation was good, if he looks at us and desires us, that should be good enough for us to say, okay, I am good enough for God. I'm not perfect. I have a whole lot of mess-ups, a whole lot of hang-ups. But God has chosen me. He's called me. He's embraced me. He's given me this opportunity to let my life be changed. And we sometimes deceive ourselves by saying we're not good enough. And we beat ourselves up and we trouble ourselves because we're fulfilling this scripture here. And Paul and Peter is telling us, get rid of it. Get rid of all deceit. Stop lying to yourself and start looking at what the word of God says. The word of God says, I loved you even though you're a sinner. I went to Calvary even though you're a sinner. So even in all the junk that we do and all the mess up that we do, he still loves us and cares for us. So stop lying to yourself and deceiving yourself that you're not good enough, that you could never measure up. Uh, hypocrisy, not being yourself. I think sometimes, you know, we, 
we criticize others for being hypocritical, but really hypocrisy is simply not being yourself and, um, and trying to be somebody else. And we find that happen oftentimes even within the confines of a church where somebody's trying to be like somebody else. Don't try to be like anybody else. Just, just be yourself. God created you and chose you and called you to be you. He, he didn't call you to be somebody else. I wasn't called to be another preacher. I was called to be me. I wasn't called to be another teacher. I was called to be me. So my teaching and my preaching style and what I do has to be what I am and who I am. It has to be, uh, I read it this way uh, in our Destiny uh, Ministries. We've been, they've been dealing with uh, uh, a book and it's been a fantastic it's a fantastic book, and, and Pastor Suber made a statement online today, uh, who before do, <laughs> who you are before you do what you're going to do. And if you measure up to who you are and recognize that who you are is enough, then when you go to do what God wants you to do, you're not going to be hypocritical. You're just going to be doing what God is asking you to do. Jealous, unkind speech, etc., etc., Verse number two and three, like newborn babies craving the pure spiritual milk. Uh, I know there's other passages in Scripture that says we have to move from milk to meat uh, when it comes to the Word of God, and I believe that. But um, we always have to love the fundamental milk of the Word of God. There's always got to be that craving for the, the nutrients that God has. Um, or another way that I always kind of look at this passage of Scripture don't let the newness of what God has revealed to you become stagnant. Constantly crave that newness of what God has for you. And as you continue to crave it, um, uh, God will begin to continue to fill you with what he's trying to do in you. And so uh, the other thing is, is I want to go even further and further with him. I've tasted enough of the Lord and have seen that it's good, and that it's powerful, and, and it makes me crave more. I want more and more of Him. And the Bible says, the more I seek Him, the more I'll find Him. If I should knock, if I should seek, I will find. So, then in, there's a little shift here, and God is now identifying if we fulfill verses 1, 2, and 3 of this chapter, there's a shift that takes place here that God is letting us know that we as believers are becoming an entirely different people. And uh, he says, you're coming to Christ, who's the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but chosen by God to great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Um, part of the reason why people struggle in living for God is they don't recognize the difference between spiritual and natural. And we tend to, because the natural is, it tends to be tangible, uh, we can put our hands on it, we can sense it with our senses, um, we can see it and, and understand what we're looking at. Um, and what the, the writer here is, uh, Peter is trying to tell us, is that God is, is he's taking a natural picture of putting a building together, and, but he's using spiritual terms that you're not going to see it, but Jesus is himself is the cornerstone, and you and I are the, the bricks, if you will, the stones. Uh, we are the sheetrock and the studs and the, the lights and the, and, and the, you know, whatever else goes into a house, the, 
the siding and, and the foundation is found in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and, and the prophets. We see that in Scripture. But then we are lively stones that God is gathering and putting together. And I and just for my purpose, this is uh, not necessarily found in Scripture, but I believe that the mortar that ties all of these stones together is His Spirit and His blood that was shed at Calvary. And, um, and so as God is is taking these living stones and he's building us into a spiritual temple. Now, I believe that that is a twofold explanation. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. That lets me know as individuals, we house the presence of God on our own, or at least we have the opportunity to if, if we can submit to him. But it also means uh, elsewhere in Scripture we're classified or, or distinguished as the children of God, as the house of God, the book of Ephesians, Paul says we are fitly framed together. That lets me know that each one of you are united together by the Spirit of God, whether we go to the same church or we're just connected by the same Spirit. Uh, we are all one spiritual structure that God is, is putting together, and we're lively stones. We're not dead stones. We're not just concrete. Um, we're, we're not like the old Archie uh, comics. We're not blockhead. And uh, uh, we are lively stones, which means lively stones lets me know that two things happen. One, we have a choice to either operate and use what God is trying to give us. Or the flip side, it also means that we are activated by the presence of God and the Spirit of God. And our house is a living house, which also means that it's not stationary. Uh, we were blessed in the last two years. In fact, it came up on our memory uh, two years ago to this last week. We broke ground uh, for our new sanctuary. And it was a great experience, a great time. And we've got a gorgeous building now uh, with the help of the Lord and with Van Man Builders and all of those things that came into it and the sacrifice that the people of God gave and made. And we're, we're blessed to have a beautiful facility. But that facility is a building. It's not moving, uh, or I hope it's not. If it's moving, we're in trouble. It's not moving. It's solid. It's secure. It's it's steadfast. It's right there, but they're not lively stones. Uh, it's 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 lumber, which lumber comes from a tree that has has died. It's it's been cut down. It's 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 no longer a living organism, and uh, so too often we identify the church as or the building of the church as the church when the building is not alive the lively stones are the people that come into it and gather together and worship we are the lively stones activated by the presence of god activated by the spirit of god and the reason why it says lively stones is because we're not confined to one place yes we need to gather together the 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 writer of hebrews admonishes us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but so much the more as we see the day approaching. But really, you and I are a stone, a lively stone, that wherever we go, we are carrying the presence or the thing that actually makes it alive, which is the Holy Spirit. That's what breathes life into us. And wherever we go, uh, we're the... So right now, I'm in, I'm in Coon Rapids. I'm up by Mercy Hospital on 114th Lane. The kingdom of God is alive and well here at our house because we've got four people here that are moving in the spirit of God. 
I know of others that are on our Zoom call or, or names that I've seen popping up all over the local region and all the way ar around the world even that are joining together. And so the lively stones have been activated all over the place because that's the way God wants it to be. He doesn't want his church to be a dead church. He wants his church to be alive and well. And then it goes on to say, you are his holy priest. And I'll, I'll get back to that when we get to verse 9. But uh, uh, we are the ones that are offering spiritual sacrifices that please God. Um, he, he placed Jesus as a cornerstone. And then he calls on us to be the ones to offer spiritual sacrifices. Prayer, praise, worship, worship. Uh, fasting, uh, giving things up, submission, all kinds of things that we do, whatsoever you do and do do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, and I would have go on to say as well, do it unto the Lord. And, uh, uh, and, and what I notice here is that when this happens, uh, Jesus becomes a stumbling block uh, to those and make some stumble and make some fall. Can I just tell you that people that do not understand and have not come to a revelation of who Jesus is and what this spiritual body is, what this spiritual building that God is putting together is, until they see that revelation, uh, it can be troubling to them when they see you. When they see you going through all kinds of chaos with a smile on your face. When they see you calm in a chaotic situation when they see you happy in the midst of a season of mourning, when they see you uh, faithful, when you have, when, when in all actuality you could just back away and not be as faithful, when you are a friend even though you're treated wrong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that becomes a tripping point for them because they can't comprehend why we would go above and beyond what is expected because most people that are not spiritual focused are focused on the things that are right in front of them, things that uh, are tangible, things, and, and the sense of justice and righteousness is not the same as a spiritual justice and righteousness. Spiritual justice says everything goes to the cross, I'm no better than anybody else. Um, natural justice says, hey, I did it right, you did it wrong, you pay the penalty and I don't. And uh, when when we allow the spiritual aspects of who we are come out, it becomes a stumbling block or it trips them, it confuses them, it confounds them. It makes them fall because they don't understand and cannot comprehend what's going on. And uh, verse number 8 says they stumble because they don't obey God's word. Well, you can't have a revelation of God until you start to obey God. Uh, you can't have a revelation of God until you see some of the things that he's laid down that you do. When, when the Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, that's an opportunity when you understand that, that if you'll draw nigh to him, he will draw nigh to you. But he's, he, he, he's going to try and get your attention always, but he's not going to force you to do anything. So those that don't believe or that don't obey are those that are going to miss out what God has planned for them. And this is probably one of my... I say this all the time every week, but this is one of my favorite verses in Scripture, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And I'm going to stop there before I get to the end of that verse. 
we're not like that. What what is you know what is what is Simon Peter saying to us? When we obey, we're not like that. We don't fumble over ourselves and stumble over ourselves. Uh, we may have to deal with some things, but in all actuality, we're holding on to the hand of the Master uh, because we are a chosen people. Listen, He chose us to be His. Uh, that doesn't mean that we have. Uh, that he likes us better than others, because I believe the Bible says that he's chosen everybody. But when you choose something, you also have to receive something. And when he chose us, he chose us all the way back at creation. He chose us again at Calvary. Uh, in, in, in his ministry here on earth, he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, I, I'm here for whosoever will, let him come unto me. Um, but when you're choosing something, when you're when you're giving a choice, I choose that. Uh, for instance, I remember, you know, back in the elementary school days, you'd line up for a recess or gym, and you'd have to pick teams. And uh, you know, you would choose the different player, and they would come to your team, or the other captain would choose their player, and they would go on that team. And, and that's kind of the setting that you see here. Well, God chose us. But if I was in that line getting ready to be chosen on a team and that person chose me, but I decided, well, I don't want to go on that team, I'll just not play. Or I don't want to go on that team, I'll just rebel or or whatever. Uh, I, I haven't joined the team. God is giving everybody the opportunity to join the team. He's chosen us, but we have to respond in like manner and say, okay, because you've chosen me, I want to be on your team. I want to I want to go to your side of the field. I want to be hand in hand with you. It's something that we have to make up our mind about. And I believe that we have entered into a season in this society, in this world, and the age in which we live in, that God is letting people know, listen, I've chosen you, but we're coming quickly to a, a, a fork in the road, and you're going to have to decide which way are you going to, are you going to choose my team? I'm asking you to come and join it, but are you going to choose my team, or are you going to choose another team? And uh, I'm glad to say that I... Was had the ability at the time to say I choose Christ, and have I always been the best team player? Not necessarily. We've all messed up. We all make mistakes. But I'm on the team, and uh, I may be a bench warmer on the team. I may not be a star. I may not be a starting center. I may not be a starting player. But I'm on the team, and that's all that matters in the grand scheme of things. Because every team member has a position to play and a and a responsibility to fulfill, and so. When he says you're a chosen people, uh, that lets us know that he's on our side. He wants us on his team, and we can accept that. You are royal priests. Um, I read somewhere, and I can't remember where I read it, but uh, somebody identified that as you are priests to kings. And uh, we are serving the king of kings and the lord of lords, and we are a priest to kings. And a priest to kings... Uh, gives it the picture of servanthood. It gives the picture of uh, being empowered to serve. You see, I wish that we could just do everything on our own and figure it out on our own, but we would fall flat on our face. But God empowers us. He equips us with what he wants so that we can serve him. And we are serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He also describes us as a holy nation. The word holy means separated unto God. It means God has called us onto his side of the field. And he has separated us from the things that are against him. We, he has called us into a position where we are closer to him 
because we have stepped away from that which is afar from him. And uh, that's exciting when you think about when he makes us holy. There is nothing, this, this is my belief on the concept of holy, there's really nothing that you can do to make yourself holy. There are things that you do because he has declared you holy. But we have taken the statement throughout the scripture where God says, Be ye holy, for I am holy, as a command and uh, instead of a declaration. And I believe that he declares us holy by the blood of Christ. And he says, You're holy or be holy because I'm holy. It, it, it's not a command saying, Okay, here's a laundry list of things to do f- to make you holy. I believe there's things that we are responsible to do to God because he has declared us holy already. The blood of the Lamb is the only thing that can separate you unto God. And uh, my pastor growing up always said there's very little difference between the best of us and the worst of us when we stand at the foot of the cross. It's the cross that makes us holy. It's the blood that was poured out at Calvary that makes us set apart unto him. When we bow at the, at the foot of the cross and we let the blood of the Lamb overwhelm us, and uh, it says that we you know, gain victory by our testimony in the blood of the Lamb. When that, that begins to take place, and there's nothing I can do except to receive it, to submit myself to it. And, um, and, and he makes us holy. And then the King James Version says that we are a peculiar people. The New Living said that we're God's very own possession. Um, that, that term there, peculiar, in King James, it does mean... It identifies who we are. It's like drawing a line around us and declaring us to be his. Um, that's, that's an incredible thought. When you understand that the creator of all things and the sacrificer on Calvary drew a line around you to identify you as his, that means that everything in the spirit world has to look through God to see you. There is a hedge of protection based off of him possessing us or him owning us, him being our Lord and Master, him being our, uh, our judge and Savior. When he does that, he puts that line around us and everything in the spirit world has to see through him in order to see us. I don't know what that does for you, but that gives me a boldness that I am protected by the things of God, the Spirit of God, the blood of Christ. I'm protected from the the onslaught of the enemy. So when the Bible says that we wrestle not against principalities and powers, but rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places, that doesn't make me afraid because I know that I have a, an angelic host that camps round about them that fear him. And not only that, but he has put up a hedge that everything that the spirit world sees has to see Jesus before it sees me. And everything that gets to me has to go through his filter and allows me to receive the, the situation that I've had to deal with in a different perspective. And, and I'm more empowered by him to receive and go through and learn in the midst of the situation that we're in um, than I am to freak out and, and to feel condemned. Um, I just remind myself, listen, I'm his. I'm his. I'm his. I'm his. I'm his. And then as a result of these things, uh, we can show others the goodness of God, for he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
I want to remind you that not to get frustrated when people can't see. They're living in darkness, and you're living in light, and there's a huge difference. Um, they're living with a an ignorance to the things of the Spirit. They don't see it. They don't understand it. They don't comprehend it. Um, but we can reveal that to them through our actions, through our behavior, through doing what we read in the first couple of verses of this chapter, where we put away all of the deceit and the hypocrisy and the jealousy and the unkind words. When If we begin to manifest the opposite of that, when we begin to not be jealous, not to be hypocritical, not to be deceiving, not to say unkind things, well, we're slowly revealing, we're bringing a little bit of light into a dark situation. And the Bible says that darkness cannot comprehend the light. So the people that are in darkness um, need to see the light of, of Christ, and we are that light. Uh, so don't get frustrated when somebody criticizes you or ridicules you uh, about who you are in Christ or who you, you know, you're that just that crazy Christian or whatever it is. Um, I don't need God. I, I'm, that's just a crutch. All the different excuses throughout the history of time, most of them are coming from a place of darkness, and they don't have an understanding. So it, we shouldn't be offended by that. There are some people out there that literally just do not like the Lord. Uh, in fact, Christ told us uh, they're going to hate you, but more than that, they're going to hate him. Uh, because we're part of him, that's why we're being hated. And uh, there is that out there, but I believe the vast majority of people, their hatred is fed on the fact that they don't know, they don't get it, they're in darkness. And we who have come into the light have the opportunity and the responsibility to reflect the light of Christ, uh, which if you read John chapter 1, he's the light that lighteth every man that came into the world, we have a responsibility to reflect his light to others so that they can see, and when they can see, then they can understand, and when they understand, then they can respond to the things of God. You'll never get somebody to respond truly to the things of God until they get a glimpse of the light that is shining. And so our prayer needs to be, Lord, let my light so shine among men. Lord, help us to be the city on top of the hill. Help us, Lord, to respond to criticism and ridicule and situations that are not friendly to us. Help us to respond to them in the light of the love of God. Help us to reflect you to them. We have to remember, and this is something that every Christian has to take into account, especially in the day and the era that we live in, when Christ was on this earth, the Bible says he went to Calvary and he opened not his mouth. He didn't, he didn't try to defend himself. He didn't try to fight back. He fought back in the spirit. He didn't fight back in the flesh. In fact, the one that betrayed him to the high priest, he kissed and called friend. The soldier that came to take him and arrest him, who, who Simon Peter himself cut off his ear, he reached down and healed him on the spot. Listen, I believe we are living in a day and an age when the church has to attack everything that's going on around us, not on the natural level, but on a spiritual level. We need to pray more. We need to love more. We need to have mercy more. We need to show more grace. We need to be the light of Jesus in this world because the, this world is living under a cloud of darkness, of, 
of worldly and rudimentary philosophies that have distorted the perspective of people. And I believe that the only salvation for our world is the blood of Christ. It's the power of Christ. It's his word. And uh, we are, according to the scripture, we are living epistles. What they see in us needs to be the reflection of the things of God. That, that's, what, that's what he's talking about in this passage of scripture. And, and he's saying, you know, uh, to, to go out and reveal or to show the goodness of God because he's already called us out of darkness into his marvelous or wonderful light. And then notice in verse 10, once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Listen, we, I know that, that the apostle here is talking in some specifics, and he's quoting some things throughout the Old Testament, but the same principle applies. Before you come to Christ, you really don't have an identity. You have a mishmash of things that identifies you. Um, for a while, you're somebody's son or daughter. For a while, you may be, um, you know, we, we identify you by the grade of school that you're in. Uh, you're a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. We identify you as a college student or as a young adult or, we, or a young married. Um, but all of those are temporary identifications because all of those change through the course of life. I have been a son, I have been a father, I have been a student, I have been a teacher, I have been a preacher. All those kinds of things identify at certain phases or in certain areas of my life. Uh, my identity comes out in that, but the ultimate identity that God is trying to give us is that we are his people. We are his children. We are, we, we are from his flock. We are his chosen vessels. And that concept, that identity, supersedes all of the temporary identities that all of us take on from time to time. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a teacher, a preacher, an electrician, or a plumber, you all can be a child of God or a person of God. It doesn't matter whether you're a nursery worker, it doesn't matter whether you're a doctor, whether you're a, a professor, it doesn't matter who you are, where you get your identity from, God is wanting you to give, give you an identity that covers all of that, and that identity is, I'm God's child. Uh, I am a person of God. You see, when we start identifying and receiving the fact that he chose us, that we are his royal priesthood, that we are a holy, separated, set-aside group of people, that we are his very own possession, and we begin to reflect the light of Christ in a dark world, that will identify you not as what you do. See, too many of us identify ourselves by what we do instead of who we are. I am a child of God. And, and if people will see me as a child of God before they see me in any other way, that's good. That's the way it should be. I want them to see me as his kid and not as a preacher. Uh, preaching is what I do. Teaching is what I do. Pastoring is what I do, but it's not who I am. What I am is a born-again child of God. What I am is part of the spiritual temple that he's been building. What I am is the lively stone that he has united together with others to build up a spiritual temple for the presence of God to dwell in. That's what I am. All the other things are just things that I do. 
All the other things are just little pieces that are put together to create in me something that is that is being done, but it's not who I am. If I stop preaching or teaching today, I'm still going to be his child. If I stop doing those things, uh, let me give you a, a perfect example. Uh, the the my, my pastor when I was born, his name was S. G. Norris, and uh, uh, he was my he was my pastor basically until I was about one year old. And then Brother Sabin, Pastor Robert Sabin, became the pastor. And, and largely because uh, Pastor Norris, uh, something happened with his voice. So he could no longer uh, preach like he used to preach or teach like he used to teach. But he still, even after all the years after that, he still tried to speak and teach. But that was just something that he did. What he was was a child of God that God had created uh, to be a vessel and an instrument to be used that's what he was. So whether or not I end up preaching until Jesus comes or until I go from this world, that's just what I do. But what I am, no matter what, is I'm a child of the living God. I want you to remember that this week. You are a child of God. You are not what you're doing. You are who God says you are. And he says that you are a, your identity is found as a lively stone or a person of the kingdom of God and um, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He also says, at one time you received no mercy. Can I just tell you that mercy only comes through receiving it from the Lord? And so before you come to God, before you come to Christ, no matter how old you are, Mercy is hard to be, it's impossible to receive. And here's the reason why. Because mercy is the thing that we grab a hold of based off of something that Christ has done for us. Okay? We have to embrace, grace is unmerited favor of God toward man. But mercy is going in the place or putting something in the place of what God, uh, uh, what we should deserve, but he takes up that place, okay? And, and so he did that at Calvary, and mercy, the Bible says, is new every morning, but mercy is new every morning, but if we don't grab a hold of it, if we don't understand it, we're not really receiving mercy. The, the, the receiving of mercy is on our part. God's given it already. He's already poured out mercy. Everybody has the opportunity for it, but we have to reach out and embrace it. And so then, and I'm just about done here tonight, but in verse 11, he admonishes us, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Listen, we are in a day and an age in America where there is a war going on for the souls of men. Uh, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. And I don't believe, I don't say that in a political sense. I believe there's a spiritual happening that is taking place. And I believe that whoever gets elected in November, the Bible says God puts up powers and God puts down powers. Uh, that doesn't release us from our duty as an American citizen to vote. I encourage you all to vote. But whoever wins this election is, is, is going to be the instrument of God. And uh, whether they like it or not, that's how God operates. He has from the beginning of time. He used evil kings and he used good kings. And he used evil political systems and not 
uh, evil political systems in order to, to advance his kingdom and advance his, his gospel. So I, I rest easy in what's going on around us, but there is wars going on for the, and way, being waged for the souls of men. And if the enemy can distract us from the mindset that we are just temporary citizens and actually foreigners in this world, and we get so tied up with, it's the one thing that concerns me even on social media is watching all of these believers getting so tied up and tangled up with the things that are going on in the political realm that they sometimes have forgotten that God is ultimately in control, that God is ultimately the one that we're just strangers and foreigners. We're just here temporarily. Um, and my residence is is heaven. My residence is the kingdom of God. My residence is where God is preparing a place for me, and he's been doing it for quite some time now. And I look forward to that day where I can go home. I'm not home yet. Don't misunderstand me. I want America to be good. I want it to flourish. I want it to be righteous. I want the blessings of God to pour out upon our country. But I all, at the same time, I don't want to allow myself to get so tied up and anxiety-ridden because of what's going on around us if my eyes are not up into the hills from whence cometh our help. My help comes from the Lord. So no matter what happens here in November and whatever we face in this country, my eyes are on him because I'm just temporary citizens and foreigners in, 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 a, in a situation that's being worked. So be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. I don't want to put off my neighbors because of something that's going on around us. I want them to see the kingdom of God. And I believe this. I believe that however this plays out in the political realm, it's going to affect the, 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 the church in this way. I believe that it's going to draw more people to the things of God, and we have a responsibility to live our lives with our heads up, with, with a confident step, with a praise on our lips, and let them know that the kingdom of God does not waver, does not fail, it does not falter, but it stands true and strong, no matter what, this, what philosophy or political thing happens in this world, and the infighting that goes on in this world, the kingdom of heaven is above that, and we all have the opportunity to transition our citizenship from the earthly things to the heavenly things. And God is trying to give us an opportunity to reveal that to others in this day and age. Uh, it's interesting when you look back in history. Every time there has been societal upheaval, for whatever reason, the church always comes out flourishing. And there's always a revival that's attached to the things that are going on in the world in a negative measure. And I believe that we are getting ready for one more major revival and harvest. I believe that God is calling people like never before. I believe, I, I listened to a uh, prophecy from uh, a man by the name of Kent Christmas that was at the, um, the, the prayer walk in Washington last Saturday. And, and, and it, it thrilled me to hear his prophetic word that the church is getting ready to grow. The church is getting ready to expand. The church is getting ready to see an influx of people. I believe that wholeheartedly because as dark as it gets in the world, if you and I will reflect the light, people are always drawn to the light. People are always drawn to hope. People are always drawn to a better day. And I believe that uh, we will... 
we, we will see that happen here in the near future. And then he closes out the passage by letting us know that way if any accusation of wrongdoing is given, it doesn't matter. They're still going to see that you honored God in your behavior and they will have to give an answer to God someday when they are judged and they will have to judge you according to the behavior that you have portrayed. Praise God. I believe that Simon Peter had some uh, insight to our day and age, whether he realized it or not. I shouldn't even say Peter. Peter wrote what God impressed upon him, and God knew where we'd be in 2020. And I believe that God is calling the church to recognize who we are and to allow the power and the presence of God to flow through us, in us and through us, so that others can see that there's hope in a hopeless world. And I believe that God is going to do a mighty, mighty work in these last days if we'll just allow him to and listen to his voice. Praise God. Thank you for being with us tonight. We're so glad that you could join us online. And uh, we pray many blessings upon you. We're thankful that God is doing what he's doing in this world, in this day, in this age. I'm thankful to know who he is. I'm thankful to know you. And God bless you all sincerely. Have a great rest of the week. And should the Lord tarry, we'll be having church at 1030 at Spirit of Grace. And then you can join us online in the afternoon. In Jesus' name, let's all pray. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. We thank you for this opportunity of spent just a little bit of time together in your word. Lord, I'm asking you to help us take this word, embrace it, and let it transform us and transfuse us with the power and glory of God so that people will see you, not see us, but see you in us. We'll be careful to give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.